Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we are speaking with Boston Red Sox CEO Sam Kennedy. He talks wins, losses, branding, and the value of the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. Despite what um, you know, you may read or hear or think, uh, there's mutual admiration and um, respect. We'll have more with our interview with Sam Kennedy in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. And let's start with a Conor McGregor. Floyd Mayweather fight. I saw this, baby. I paid for it. I'm sorry. It was an entertaining fight. I don't care what anybody says. Somehow I knew of the tech savvy three million that didn't pay for it. Michael Barr would not be included in that group. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was an enjoyable fight, and and leaves a lot of questions, business questions, moving forward, especially for McGregor. I mean, say what you will about how he performed, he did not embarrass himself, and that probably leaves the option open for him to continue boxing should he want to. And he made more in this fight than he has his entire UFC career. All those titles he's made. The raise up to being the most visible star, the most bankable star in UFC, all of the money he's made his entire four-year UFC career pales in comparison to what he made on one night boxing. That's going to be a hard allure for him to turn down. And still, he's not the happiest guy. The happiest people after this whole event are the traditional TV folks. That linear TV guy goes like, ah, look at that. Uh, You tried to have a big event. All I hear is streaming. All I hear is digital. And all the problems that occurred, there's already a lawsuit. There were refunds to those who couldn't log on. So those traditional TV folks are still there. They're laughing all the way to the bank saying, get on your couch, get your HD TV big screen <laughs> and enjoy because it worked for us. It now, does seem as though every time we have a big fight like this, I mean, this is this big fight was bigger than than Pacquiao Mayweather. You know, Mayweather's going to make probably $300 million on this fight. McGregor might bank $100 million. Uh, it does seem like every time we have fights of this magnitude, there is something wrong either with the pay-per-view or the digital stream. I believe the lingo, the lexicon in the industry is concurrent streams. As when you try to concurrently stream that many uh, that many viewers, things go wrong. Well, I concurrently dialed up the cable company to have this fight for pay-per-view, which, by the way, that's the way to do it. 
See, if you order it by the TV itself straight, you only get it on one TV. But I called the cable company, so I got it on both of my TVs, upstairs and downstairs. By the way, Evan, it was so, so sad. Yeah. I saw the picture on Facebook that Barr posted. It's like these, <laughs> these three guys with pot bellies and the chips were like, right? Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's, what it, that's what it amounted to. By the way, did you see the story about the gambler who earned $242,000 on the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor fight? Bet it through William Hill. Now he had to put up $1.21 million to do it. But can you imagine the first three rounds, what he's thinking? Oh, no, because I'm sorry, McGregor was winning those rounds. And not just him. I mean, the entire Vegas sports betting industry. This was the biggest liability that Las Vegas has ever had on a sporting event, was, was McGregor winning. There was so much betting early on in this process on McGregor to win just because there are a lot of fans out there that thought he had a chance. And, and the sports books, because they knew – Mayweather was such a heavy favorite, didn't want to balance the action. So they ended up in this position where if Mayweather had lost, uh, this would have been a massive, massive, the worst payout in, in Las Vegas sports betting history. They didn't make a nickel off me. I'm one of those people who has to say didn't see the fight. Woke up at 2.30 in the morning and uh, you know clicked on the phone. Oh, okay, Mayweather won. Okay, good night. <laughs> that was it. I didn't see it. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> let's shift to lacrosse. And the lacrosse league expands to San Diego with... Alibaba billionaire. Yeah, the key here is the National Lacrosse League, the NLL. That's the indoor league. They want blue chip owners. They want guys who also own NBA teams, NHL teams, because they're looking to add two teams per year for the next five years. So they need guys who can come in and make an investment in a league. And they got one in Josai. He's the vice chairman of Alibaba, net worth of $11.5 billion, played lacrosse at Yale. This guy is invested in the sport. He's invested in the league. They're not done yet. This is a great announcement for NLL. Absolutely. And, and I'm more interested, I think, in what Josai has next. I mean, this guy's a, a multi, multi, multi-time billionaire. A $5 million investment is, is pennies, literally, for him. And if this team increases in value a hundredfold in the next 10 years, which, frankly, it's not going to do, that's still pennies for him. I think this is the first step in what is a much larger push into sports ownership here in the U.S. And Scott, as you've reported, he's interested in the Nets, right? He's, he's looking poking around, around the Brooklyn Nets. That, that, that 49%, maybe more share of the Nets. He's one of the guys looking at the team. So this lacrosse team kind of gets him into a smaller type of boys club. Um, and that can be the launching point for something more. And finally, all this is all I have to say. LeVar Ball and the Facebook show. That's all I need to say. Yeah, but no, you have to say something else, which I didn't pick up on. The name of the show, Michael Barr? Ball in the Family. <laughs> Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. We do it all the time so here in the studio. made the hit parade. Speaking of which, is this going to be And by the way, Evan has hit? no idea what we're doing. Evan, I'm not sure what's going on here. If I say Archie Bunker, do you know who that is? Barely. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, yeah. But for all the people always annoying, oh, LeVar Ball, get rid of him. I'm rooting against his son. Maybe there was a method to the madness. He's got a show on Facebook now about his family. It's just promotion for the brand. And the kids. I always feel like it's like the Kardashians. Everybody laughs at the Kardashians. They are going to the bank. So is he doing something right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call the guy a genius, but there's no question that people love to watch him. And this Facebook show on Facebook Watch, which is going to be launching nationwide, I believe, pretty soon, uh, is going to be – people will watch it for sure. LeVar drew people to the Vegas Summer League. I mean, there's something about it. They, it's compelling, and people want to see it. Old Man Barra, watch it on the Facebook. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter 
Eben Novi Williams. Now let's get to our interview. We're speaking with the Chief Executive Officer of the Boston Red Sox, Sam Kennedy. He's a native of Brookline, Massachusetts, has been president of the Red Sox since 2015, and was elevated to CEO just last month. Well, Sam, I think we should start with a congratulations. I mean, it's only a couple of weeks Yay. in, but you add a little something to your business card. No, congrats on the new gig. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, my 16th year with the organization, and um, uh, thanks uh, to John Henry and Tom Warner, they've decided to, to keep me around for uh, for a little bit longer. So it's a great vote of confidence in our senior management team. We've got a great group up here, and we all feel uh, feel very fortunate to be a part of the Red Sox. This is going to be difficult, I know, but if you can succinctly sum up the Red Sox and the Red Sox brand now versus what both of those things were when you joined the franchise? Well, it's uh, hard to do succinctly, but uh, we, we try and focus really on, on three key areas of winning baseball games, first and foremost, and second is the preservation and protection of Fenway Park, and third is being active participants in the Boston community. So I hope that uh, others can judge how we've done vis-a-vis those uh, goals or, or objectives each and every year, uh, but that's what, where we, that's really where we, we focus uh, our efforts, and if we're, if we're doing well on those three fronts, um, we'll, we'll be just fine, but it's, uh, it's all about playing baseball in October, and uh, hopefully we're, we're on that path uh, again this year, although the, the Yankees are, uh, are absolutely more than nipping at our heels. They're, uh, they're right there with us. Yeah, but let, let's be honest about things. While the fan bases may hate each other, I mean, there's that rival we know, but on the business side, there's nothing better for baseball, more synergistic than the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's just great for business, is it not? Absolutely. No, no question. And uh, we actually, uh, despite what um, you know, you may read or hear or think, uh, there's, there's mutual admiration and um, respect. Uh, John Henry began his ownership uh, uh, interest in baseball with the New York Yankees, ironically, way back. And uh, he's got a great uh, respect to the Steinbrenner family. And I actually started as an intern for the New York Yankees back in 1993 through 1995. And many of my colleagues uh, from that time period are still there. So we have a lot of fun going back and forth with each other. I particularly liked when Brian Cashman called us the uh, Golden State Warriors of Major League Baseball this past offseason when we, uh, when we made the deal for Chris Sale. Uh, Cash always has a good line or two. And uh, sure enough, uh, here they are, the Yankees being the Yankees. They are, uh, they're right in it. And what a great job he's done building a, uh, a young, competitive team that, that seems to be built uh, for, for success for a long, long time. So, yeah, we've got fun. We have a lot of fun with the rivalry. A lot of mutual respect, um, and you know, I'd be lying if I, I didn't say we watch uh, the results and the scoreboards of, of their games uh, each and every night. The president of your baseball operations, Dave Dombrowski, who came from Detroit, served many years with the Tigers, and now he is with the Boston Red Sox. Let's talk about the importance of a smooth running operation in the front office. You guys seem to have it. Well, we're fortunate to have Dave. He joined us um, in August of 2015 after a great run with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I think the Illich family will tell you that uh, he did a, a terrific job out there uh, winning uh, a lot, playing postseason uh, baseball more often 
and not, and that's the goal for any franchise. And so we had the opportunity to bring Dave in uh, to lead our baseball operations department, and uh, he's done a great job of um, evaluating the, the team of people off the field and on the field. Perhaps one of the most impressive things that, that he's done is recognize some of the great talent in the front office and our scouting network and promoting uh, individuals like Eddie Romero and Gus Quattlebaum and Raquel Ferreira, Brian O'Halloran, names that aren't necessarily household names, but folks that have been with the organization for a long, long time. Dave did not come in and, and clean house. In fact, just the opposite. He, he really leaned on the existing talent within our organization. Uh, one of the first things he did was, was promote Mike Hazen uh, when he arrived, and, and Hazen has now moved on to become the top baseball operations official at the Arizona Diamondbacks. So there's been a, a great recognition of our scouting and player development uh, capabilities, uh, and then he's obviously brought his 37 years of baseball operations experience to the table, and we were able to win a division last year and, and hopefully uh, get back to the postseason this year. And He made a lot of great moves in the off season and at the trade deadline, so it's been. Uh, he's a, he's a really nice guy. He's got a reputation for being a, a terrific guy, a great communicator. But yeah, he's recognized some of the great assets that we've uh, had in our minor league system and um, promoted them probably more quickly than uh, you may have uh, thought he would. And uh, it's worked out really well. We think about guys like Andrew Benintendi and, and Rafael Devers, and uh, just to name a few. So uh, he's mixed in that young group of, of talent with veteran leadership, acquiring guys like Craig Kimball and, and Chris Sale and David Price and uh, folks who have been around for a while. And, and uh, that's always the trick is trying to build that chemistry. And uh, he's done a really good job of that. That said, he'd be the first to tell you we got a long way to go here in 2017. And, and we're, we're hopeful to, to get back to the postseason. We are chatting with Red Sox CEO Sam Kennedy and Sam, you just brought up Ben Attendee's name. At the All-Star break, I would have said it's it's a no-brainer. Aaron Judge is the Rookie of the Year. I'm not so sure anymore. Well, you know, it'll be a, uh, a fascinating uh, race for, for the sort of season-ending uh, awards and uh, and honors. Um, but uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned Aaron Judge and, and some of the, the great young players in the game. We're experiencing, I think, a renaissance in baseball with lots of great young players uh, who've captured the imagination of, of our fans. Uh, it, it's been very, very positive and good for baseball. The Home Run Derby was uh, was really exciting, uh, and uh, I, I think that's what the game needs to continue to, to grow. We've got, uh, under Rob Manfred's leadership, we've had a, a, a good period of, of growth, and, and we need to keep that going as an industry. Do young players translate to younger fans? Everybody knows the baseball demo skews a little bit older. Everybody's trying to win that millennial fan base. What are the Red Sox doing to win millennials, and how's baseball doing overall? We're doing better overall as an industry, uh, given the emergence of some of the young stars that we're talking about, whether it's Bryce Harper, or Mookie Betts, or Aaron Judge, and Gary Sanchez, Andrew Benintendi, you know, the list goes on and on. But here at the Red Sox, in our sort of little corner of the world, we're trying to, first and foremost, provide access. You need to be able to come to Fenway Park and, and see the Red Sox in person and, and fall in love, not just with the team, but with this beautiful historic traditional 
national ballpark. Um, and the way you do that is you price your tickets affordably. We started a, a $9 student ticket uh, for anyone in the New England area. Just show your student ID, middle school, high school, college, and you can come in for 9 bucks on a day game purchase. So you got to give people access. And then once they get here, you got to give them a great experience when they come. So we've tried to make uh, changes to the ballpark, added virtual reality, video games, areas to uh, throw and hit and pitch and catch. And um, that, that's important because the days of sitting there watching a, a three-hour or even a four-hour baseball game are gone. People are going to be um, distracted. Our attention spans are just shorter. They are. So we need to read and react to that. Uh, and then finally, we need to be where our fans are if they're not coming to Fenway Park. So what does that mean? Kids aren't, I don't think kids are consuming television the way that we did when we were kids. So <clears throat> thanks to baseball, uh, that we through our digital media company, MLB.com, uh, we were able to reach a, a deal to stream our games in market so kids and, and others can take Red Sox baseball with them and watch in their uh, iPhones or mobile devices. Uh, they can stream games. And, and, and I know uh, as a parent of a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, uh, they consume content through their mobile device uh, almost exclusively. So it's really important that we're reaching that next generation of fans, and, and that's something that we're going to continue to focus on. And you mentioned about the history of Fenway Park, and it is rich in history, a beautiful park. One of the owners that used to be there in Boston is Thomas Yawkey, and there's Yawkey Way. But now there is a push, and uh, it's led by the owner, the current owner of the Red Sox, John Henry, to rename Yawkey Way. And yes, he was uh, an owner of the team, but there was also a racist legacy involved in that. Uh, can you expand more about renaming Yawkey Way and and your thoughts about Sure. Well, when we arrived in 2002, um, we, a few of us had been in San Diego together. John Henry had been with the Florida Marlins as their principal owner. Um, when we came in, uh, one of the very first things that uh, John Henry and, and Tom Warner and, and Larry Lucchino, who was my mentor and um, my predecessor, one of the first things they did is publicly acknowledge the shameful fact that um, the Boston Red Sox were the last team in Major League Baseball to integrate, um, period, end of sentence. Not something that we are proud of as an organization. It is part of our history. We need to acknowledge it. We need to own it. And that's exactly what they did. And then we spent the next 15 years uh, trying to make Fenway Park as uh, warm, as welcoming, as open uh, as we possibly can. Um, and in the wake of uh, some unfortunate incidents back in the beginning of the season, we had a, uh, a racial slur hurled at Adam Jones, a center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, who's a, a terrific guy and a, and a great baseball player. Uh, and then we had another incident the next night, uh, unbelievably, uh, within 24 hours. And it really caused a, a deeper examination of what else we could do as a, as a club, as an institution, uh, to try and uh, remove some of the 
symbols that uh, that have uh, served as reminders of, of the, sort of that past that we're not so proud of. Um, and frankly, John and Tom have been talking about uh, the possible removal of the Yawkey Way name um, for for a long, long time, and and that, those conversations intensified over the past year. And um, John uh, publicly uh, sent a very strong message uh, recently uh, in his his public statements where he called for us and others in the community to have a conversation and possibly change the name. So that's exactly what we're doing. And again, it's not an indictment uh, of the great work of, that's being done by the Yawkey Foundation. Um, John Henry, uh, Tom Werner did not know Tom Yawkey. I did not know Tom Yawkey. Um, so they're, they're really the discussion is about a symbol that um, we've heard from stakeholders in the community, from employees uh, that makes some uncomfortable. And that's the last thing we want to do. We want Fenway Park to be a place where everybody feels welcome, accepted, um, and is a part of this great thing called Red Sox Nation. So uh, we'll continue to have that conversation and work with our partners in the community, uh, neighborhood groups, elected officials, uh, to continue to examine that issue in the coming weeks ahead. Sam, Every time I hear Red Sox, I think of Fenway Park. I've actually walked on the field. That that wall is so big. It just looms so large as a presence. It's such a big part of the organization. And you guys realize that. Uh, not a lot of seating. So to monetize, you said, let's do other things. You've got hockey games there, winter festivals, college football, high school football, snowboarding. Is this all a part of sort of revamping what the Red Sox mean, opening up that facility to everyone? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the ballpark um, earlier on in our discussion, and we, we want to affirmatively establish Fenway Park as open, uh, as welcoming to different demographic groups, and that means uh, including treating people right when they come to Red Sox games, it also means staging different events, as you've uh, alluded to. So whether it's concerts in the summertime or international soccer matches or snowboarding, ski jumping, uh, Irish hurling, college football games, the list goes on and on. We're situated in an amazing part of one of the best cities uh, on earth, and that's, that's downtown Boston. And we have great public transportation, great accessibility. So it's a uh, it's a venue that um, uh, has the, the great uh, luxury of, of great geography, and it really serves as a community gathering place for these different events. And Mayor, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh and, and his team have been outstanding in partnering with us to bring these new and unique and different events to, to Boston, and, and we hope uh, to do more and more of that as, as the years uh, uh, go on here. From a cash register perspective of the ability to generate revenue. Is Fenway Park tapped out or is there more you can do? No, there's more we can do. I think there's uh, oh, we're really only limited by our own uh, creativity. Uh, so as long as we can come and think of new and different uh, creative ways to use the ballpark, um, we're limited. We'd only be limited by creativity. And uh, and and I'd say it's a Boston uh, fierce Boston winters. <laughs> Although we have scheduled, we've had outdoor ice hockey four times here at Fenway. We've had ski boarding and snow jumping. Um, but uh, it, we. We are sometimes limited when we get uh, when we get blizzards coming through. And I have a marketing idea wrapped in the question. See, I, I love scoreboards, and I love the scoreboard at Fenway Park. What about making a mini scoreboard 
for sale. I'd be the I'd be the first one in line to buy it. Would that work? Something like a a mini version of a Fenway Park sold or something like that. Take the rest of the day off. That's a great idea. See, <laughs> you insinuate he's we'll been double, working double, up until this point. <laughs> We'll, we'll double what we paid you last year. Thirteen dollars and twenty-two cents. No, I mean no, that would be a, a great idea. idea. I think there probably are um, uh, more Fenway Park Green Monster scoreboard murals painted on um, uh, kids' uh, bedrooms and basements uh, all over New England. So yes, I think that would be very popular. See. <laughs> See Scott, uh, he's being nice. Okay. <laughs> Sam, how does how do the Red Sox fit into the entire empire that is John Henry? He owns Liverpool, Roush Fenway Racing he owns half of that. I mean, LeBron James is a client of Fenway Sports Management. There's a lot of disparate parts. How do they all come together, and how do they work synergistically? So basically, we um, uh, John Henry and and Tom Werner uh, own a, with their partners uh, a company called Fenway Sports Group, and that is the parent company that owns the Red Sox, New England Sports Network, Liverpool Football Club, uh, English Premier League Soccer Team, uh, Roush Fenway Racing, a NASCAR team, and Fenway Sports Management, which is a sales and marketing uh, company, which has that relationship with LeBron James. And uh, so John and Tom have been part. Since 2002, since coming together to originally acquire the Red Sox and Fenway Park and Nesson, uh, and they've grown uh, Fenway Sports Group from a, a baseball, major league baseball team and television network into a much uh, larger enterprise, given their entrepreneurial uh, nature. And like you said, Fenway Racing, and I'm a big NASCAR fan, but uh, NASCAR is going through something many other sports are going through. Uh, when you see a race, sometimes that the stands aren't filled to capacity. I think in general, sporting events and, and sport, whether it's uh, NASCAR or hockey or basketball or baseball, football, um, y y you go through cycles where there's some ups and downs. Uh, we are extremely fortunate here in Boston with the Red Sox, and that speaks to the passion of our of our fan base, where we've had, had great support. Uh, but the key is you got to provide good entertainment and uh, good value. So um, that's that's what we try to focus on with uh, with all of the properties that uh, we're involved with. I can pivot from NASCAR easily. You grew up in Brookline. You didn't need a car. You could walk to Fenway Park. So it was foot power. <laughs> How often did you make that right. trip, and did you ever sneak in? Yeah, of course. I don't think uh, there's a kid who grew up in Boston who, who hasn't uh, tried to sneak into Fenway Park. So uh, mm. I, I'll have to keep my, my secrets. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, but you had the hole in the fence fixed, you miser. <laughs> exactly, and I was very, very fortunate because the um, – uh, my, to grow up in a household. My father uh, was an Episcopal clergyman, and, and back in those days, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, they were they had access to a standing room pass as a member of the clergy, and uh, so I was able to uh, to come in on my father's uh, clergy pass, and in fact, one of the security guards who used to let me in still works here, and he remembers saying to me as a young young boy, you look way too young to be a member of the clergy. I don't, I, I think, get out of here, kid. Aspiration you said I aspire to be that that's a, but it sounds like a millennial marketing gig like a standing room that's only right. pass that sounds like what that's, the teams are doing with millennials these days absolutely right and look in all seriousness it really is important to you know I fell in love with baseball because I was fortunate and I grew up in a, in a household with a with a 
father and mother who were passionate about baseball. But uh, I also had something very unique, which was I, I, my parents couldn't afford season tickets, but uh, they had access, and, and access is really important. So we're, we're very focused on that. All right, and lastly for you, Sam, I would think at, at Brookline High, if you were thinking of the pantheon of Sports Hall of Fame possibilities, someone would surely have to nominate the CEO of the Red Sox. And then the discussion would happen and somebody would say, but wait a minute, we also have a guy that you were in class with by the name of Theo Epstein. That's just terrible <laughs> luck on your part. <laughs> well, the, the, the truth is, is I recently attended the Brookline High um, Sports Hall of Fame dinner, uh, and I'm proud to say that neither T.O. Epstein nor I were inducted, but the goalie, and you'll appreciate this, Scott, the goalie on my high school hockey team from the class of 1991, Mike Kelly, was inducted uh, for his role as the starting goaltender on our uh, ice hockey team where we went to the state championship game. Unfortunately, we lost 3-1 to one to Barnstable High. I remember it like it was yesterday in the old Boston Garden. Uh, but Mike went into the Hall of Fame about 26 years, I guess, at post-graduation. So Theo and I are still waiting for the call. Something tells me Theo will get that call before I will. That's okay. I still love a region that prioritizes its (laughs) ice hockey. Well done, Boston. (laughs) Sam Kennedy, CEO of the Red Sox. Thank you very much. I want to see the scoreboard. (laughs) Great to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Take away, Scott. And it's a serious issue because we're talking about Yawkey Way, which is right in front of Fenway Park, and the big drive now to rename that. Now, there are two things about this. Yes, first of all, he he was an owner of the Red Sox, so you can't erase that historical part of it. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy who denied people such as Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and they said that John Henry has been looking into this for quite some time. Seems after Charlottesville, the time is now, the time is right. My takeaway, the creativity of of Sam Kennedy and the Red Sox, the way they're utilizing Fenway Park. You don't get rid of it. They're limited in seats. They're limited in size, but they're using it for other events. I mean, a snowboard hill in Fenway Park, a winter festival, just the creativity needed, required to generate more revenue out of that ballpark, and they're doing a good job of it. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Scott, the number of the week, you have it, is six. Six. And it's not six feet. It's not six million. This time it's six seconds. Because you're going to see ads during NFL games on Fox that are only six seconds long. We're used to that when you open up something on your browser, but not on TV. Fox is experimenting with this. They've used it before, but not in NFL games. Is this the future of advertising? If technically, they could put five of those six-second ads in 30 seconds. And I wonder how they're going to work this out in like a 15 and a six. I wonder how they're going to plan this. Well, I wonder because right off the bat, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching a game and as soon as the commercial comes on, I'm on that second screen experience. I lift up my phone. I'm on Twitter. I'm looking elsewhere. So it's about my attention. Is it the shorter attention where I'm not going to get 30 seconds or am I looking at all? Am I even looking at six seconds? They're going to have to measure the effectiveness of these ads and then they'll see which way advertisers want to go and more importantly, 
where they want to spend their money. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with Demoris Smith. He's the executive director of the NFL Players Association. That's going to be good. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.